Ladies and gentlemen, hello and welcome to another edition of the Leaders Performance Podcast, another insight into the world of elite performance in sport and beyond. My name is John Porch, and I'm the lead writer here at Leaders. Of course, these podcasts are just one way of consuming Leaders Performance content, so please do keep checking out our online performance hub for access to cutting-edge best practice and original research in the fields of leadership and culture, talent and recruitment, coaching and development, human performance, tech, data and analytics. You know it never gets any easier to say that mouthful, but for all of the above, please visit leadersinsport.com forward slash performance. Most of you are doing so anyway, but in the here and now we bring you another session from the archives. This one is called Inside the Royal Ballet. If you check our event guides, you'll often see that we try to play on words at our performance summits, giving sessions jazzy titles. How many of you remember, for example, quarterbacks and acrobats in LA in 2016? But this one does exactly what it says on the tin. We take you inside the Royal Ballet, which is based in London's Covent Garden. In the hot seat that day, at our 2014 performance summit at Arsenal's Emirates Stadium in London, was Kevin O'Hare, who is the director of the Royal Ballet and a former dancer himself. He was joined by his colleague Greg Retter, who serves as the clinical director of the Royal Ballet Healthcare Division. Greg has worked for the British Olympic Association in the past, which makes the lessons he imparts here all the more pertinent. He even describes the dancers themselves as artistic athletes. The man posing the questions was moderator Jarla Almer, the CEO of the Norwegian Olympic Committee High Performance Cluster. Over the course of nearly 45 minutes, they delve into the ways the Royal Ballet looks to be different to the likes of the Bolshoi, the Paris City Ballet and all its other elite rivals across the globe. There's a focus on pushing the company forward and creating classics for the 21st century, as Greg himself puts it. He also says he doesn't want the Royal Ballet to be considered a museum. Anyone who's been to the Royal Opera House in Covent Garden of late will tell you there's no danger of that. Anyway, there's a focus on innovation and creating opportunities for dancers, enabling them to be their best in a fast-evolving world, as well as for choreographers. In truth, the session will speak for itself, so I'm about to stop talking in a second. But first, just a reminder that if you like what you're about to hear, the Royal Ballet makes its return to the Leaders Performance Summit in London next month. Ballet mistress, Samantha Rain, will take to a very different stage to discuss nurturing young talent and how one can spot potential at the Royal Ballet. She will be joined at the summit by speakers including Gerson Rosas, the Executive Vice President of Basketball Operations at the Houston Rockets, and Sean Dyche, the manager of English Premier League side Burnley. I do hope you'll all be able to join us to listen to them and the many more speakers besides we have on stage at the Kia Oval. So anyway, here's Kevin O'Hare and Greg Retter from the Royal Ballet. And if this is your first visit to the podcast, then please do go back and check out our archives because there's some fantastic stuff in there. Good evening and welcome to the next and last session for today. Uh, as you might see in this, it might be some different from for some of you, but we hope that after 45 minutes, we all know the ballet and also the, the Royal Ballet a little bit better. But Kevin, this, is, this was world-class dancing, wasn't it? Yes, um, just, I suppose, a little bit of background about the, the company, really. 
we're nearly 80 years old, so in ballet terms, that's very young. Uh, some of the, the oldest companies around 300 odd years. The, uh, the Danish ballet was one of the first com uh, ballet companies. And then, of course, you have the big Russian companies, the Bolshoi and the, the Mariinsky, who have been doing it for hundreds of years. So we're relatively young. We were founded by somebody called Dame Nanette de Valois, who um, decided she'd worked with the Russian ballet uh, with Diaghilev and um, wanted, though she was Irish, wanted a British ballet to exist. And so started what was originally called the Vic Wells Ballet. And then after the war in 1946, we got asked to, to move to the Royal Opera House. So we moved to the Royal Opera House in 1946. Um, and then in 1956 became the Royal Ballet. And uh, even though we're relatively young, we are steeped in the traditions of classical ballet and have been. Of course, we work in this huge, big opera house. We share the stage with the Royal Opera. We do about 135 performances on what we call the main stage, which is the big stage that you would have seen on those clips. And then we also have a small theatre downstairs where we do about another 10, 15 performances. We do education work. We do live relays of our, our, our work uh, to cinemas worldwide. I'm pleased to say that it's really taken off. Uh, last, the last thing we did uh, beat Spider-Man at the movies on one night only, but it, it was the top film that year, that, that day. And uh, so really, we're, we've got a little bit of a moment here with, with dance, um, particularly in England. I'm sure it's uh, around the world as well. Dance is very much to the forefront um, on television, in movies, and in theatres. And so we've, we're really trying to build on that, uh, especially with new media as well. And then the other huge aspect of it is, is looking after the dancers. We have world-class dancers here, and we have to look after them. And so that's part of what we'll talk about today. What about the ambitions? Have it always been uh, looked upon at the highest international level for the company? Yeah, I would say we are uh, one of the top companies in the world. There's, I, would, I won't list them, but there's a probably, I would say, about five or six companies that we would say are are the world's best ballet companies, and we are up there. And uh, one of the things that really helped us um, to become that is that we had two choreographers, our founding choreographer called Sir Frederick Ashton, and then about 10 years later, another choreographer emerged called Kenneth Macmillan. And the two of them shaped the companies. So, so as well as doing the ballets that you've all heard of, the Swan Lakes and the, the Nutcrackers and things like that, they were creating new work for us that would push us and also give us something original to work with. And, and so then we were different from the Bolshoi, the New York City Ballet, or uh, the Paris Opera Ballet. So we had that, and it's been fantastic for us to have that. Of course, um, though both those choreographers died, and, and for a little while we were sort of um, struggling to find replacements for those, for bringing that energy into the company, because really it is choreographer led because you need to have new works unless we're going to become a museum and just perform works that have been created 150, 20 years ago. And uh, like all good things, they we waited a long time and then they all came around together really. So we actually have a resident choreographer called Wayne McGregor. We have an, uh, now an artistic associate called Chris Wielden and an artist in residence called Liam Scarlett. And those four, three guys are really the top choreographers in the world today and they're with our company. And so 
that gives me the chance, and I've, I've actually given them those positions, and so it gives me the chance to push the company forward instead of just looking back. We're constantly looking at new ways to reinvent what people come to see and also sort of create really the classics for the 21st century uh, for the company. So this is also a part of your ambitions and your choice uh, when you took over the role as a director two years yes. ago. So in a way you have made a kind of new direction of the of the company. Yes, yeah, it's hard. Um, you know, we're a big organization, we have this history, we're the national company, people expect to see a company do those big works that I've just talked about, the Swan Lakes and, and all those classic ballets, but I think it's important for the dancers and the audiences actually to have something different and to be challenged sometimes. And so it's a balancing act all the time, trying to, of course, box office has something to do with it as well. We have to, uh, we are subsidized by the government, but uh, that's getting less and less. So we have a lot of support from private people and uh, businesses. And then, of, but of course, the box office is half of our budget. And so we have to make sure that we're doing work that people want to come and see. You are on the way building up a new identity of the, of the, of the ballet or the company yeah. as well. Yes, yeah, definitely. And I, and I think it's something that, of course, uh, I like to say sometimes I'm, we're a bit like Arsenal Football Club or one of those big football clubs where we want the best to be working with us, the best um, dancers to be coming here. We have a school and hopefully we're training those so people will go through the ranks of the company to become the, the sort of superstars. But also I want the superstars to be knocking on my door and saying, we want to join, I want to join this company and be a part of it. What kind of identity is this compared with the, the other companies around the world? What is your footprint in it? I think, I think it is that um, innovation. I think there's very few companies in the world really of our size being, uh, being innovative in the same way, producing um, new ballets after new ballets, creating uh, more opportunities for choreographers, the fact that we have those choreographers with us. And then I think um, we've got Greg here with us. Uh, one of the things that we're really doing is focusing on the health of the dancer and the career, you know, the lifespan of a dancer and how long um, you can go for if you're looked after in the right way. And also I do want people to be able to stop dancing and be able to walk out the door and not have problems, you know, when they're 50, 60 years old, which, sad to say, is the case in a lot of people. So changing is difficult and, and as you mentioned, it's, it's, it's a lot of pressure. Mm -hmm. it's, uh, this is something that people care about. It's, uh, public, it's media, and, and still you are able to, to develop it in, in a new direction. Is, is this, you mentioned Arsenal, is that kind of changing how they're playing in a football club? Yes, it is, I suppose, and you're, um, I think they don't change managers as much <laughs> in ballet as they do in football, thank God. Um, they give you a chance, but you do have to take a deep breath when, you, when you're in a big organization, and it has a lot of people that treat it as their family, and you know, I. I don't read blogs because I wouldn't want to hear what everybody has to say. Of course, I have to see what the, the critics and the people in the, in the newspapers, the journalists are talking about. But if you read everything, you would never get anything. You would never put anything on the stage. But it is a sort of, it's a big, deep breath, full metal jacket and get on there and do what you believe in. And I, what's brilliant about the Opera House for me is that once they gave me the job and they really put me through it to get the job, 
they, they've said, right, I've got a five-year contract at the moment, get on with it. And, and they're letting me do what I believe in artistically. And uh, that's great to have, and backing me up on that. You mentioned Greg and, and uh, the decision to bring him in. And, uh, and Greg, uh, we saw the video. Could you tell us a little about uh, a working day or a week of a, of a dancer? Um, I think that's changed quite considerably recently. Uh, historically, a dancer would come in and do class every morning. So a dancer will do class six days a week. That's usually about an hour to an hour and a half. Historically, very slow, controlled exercises, and then they'll go into rehearsal. Nowadays, that class is much more bespoke around what the dancer needs to do ready for the day, so it gets them woken up. They go through some of the steps that they'll be using on the stage later on through the day. After the class at about 12 o'clock, they'll go into rehearsal, and then they have a full day of rehearsal, usually through till about 6 o'clock. I think one of the things that I wasn't really aware of until I came to the ballet was how rigorous that rehearsal can be because when you're in front of a choreographer and a ballet master you can't do it at 80% you have to do it at 100% and you do it again and again and again and again so that's a really you know big chunk of their day and amongst all of that they'll also supplement that with weight training you wouldn't expect to see ballerinas lifting weights but at the royal ballet we have a fully kitted out gym with three strength and conditioning coaches working with the dancers there They'll also do some Pilates. We have a full Pilates studio, which is, I think, quite familiar to dancers. Um, and then, and amongst all that, they'll also fit in nutrition, psychology. So it's a full-on day, full-on week. And then at 7.30, the show starts. And then they'll be performing through till 10.30 at night. So that's a 12-hour block that we've got to keep this dancer at the peak of their form day after day after day throughout the whole season. So it's a, it's a pretty... Yeah, and a part of this week, uh, it's also a certain program. Maybe you can tell why you started this program connected to, to health. With, with connected with, well, I think um, what was happening, uh, you know, when I, I stopped dancing, uh, what, 15 years ago, and very much how Greg was saying, it used to be, you did your class, I was, I sort of was, I, I went to the Royal Ballet School, so I've been there since I was 11 years old, so I, I knew that I had to do class every day, I had that discipline. And that's what I, I, one thing about dancers is the discipline of them. And probably that's where they link in so well with sport, um, dare I say it, less than actors. Because um, actors, and, and also singers as well, I feel, um, have to have their own discipline in a, sort of, in a certain way. But in, in a ballet company, everybody needs to be doing class every day. And so they have to be in at 10.30, whether you're the biggest name in ballet today or you've just come from the school at 18, you are in class. It's an equalizer, which is brilliant. And so you're there and you're doing class and you start in your day. But we started to realize, you know, over the years that we did need something to supplement this class because of really what you might have seen, some of the, the things that we're doing now, some of the choreographers, they're pushing the bodies to such extremes that a ballet class can't just do it, you know. The lifts are getting bigger, the things that the guys have to do with the girls are incredible, the, what they have to, the flexibility of the bodies. So slowly we're, you know, of course we had physios to start with, then uh, I remember the day a masseur came. That was a, a revelation about 20 years ago. You know, that was amazing. And then we started Pilates, gyrotonics, then the, the um, strength and conditioning guys. And I think 
for me, I was struggling of how to keep this all together and how to make this work. And of course, everybody who is teaching that discipline believes in their discipline, loves their discipline, and believes their discipline is the best way to get that dancer, if they're either stronger or if they're injured, rehabilitated to go back on stage. And of course, I didn't have the knowledge to, to, to actually sit down and say, well, let's get a program together and have a bit of this, a bit of that, and make sure that it's all working together. And, and the dancers were feeling like they were sort of floundering a little bit. And so I felt I needed somebody with the knowledge, with the experience, and I think, first of all, you look to sport for that. And we were lucky enough to find Greg and, and bring him in. So Greg's been here now for about a year and a few months, haven't you? Yeah. yeah, Greg, tell us a little bit more about the program and what is the, the goal and, and what do this prevent injuries and, and increase the potential for high performances? Um, I think that, first of all, I was very clear that we needed to have a high performance environment in the Royal Ballet. So what we have there is something that you'd all be familiar with in your own sports, with uh, a fully equipped gym. Uh, we've introduced a force plate, wireless EMG, accelerometer. So we're starting to pull together some really good data, sports science data, around the dancers themselves. Um, we tie that in then with Pilates, with the physiotherapy, as I mentioned, nutrition and psychology. And the idea is to pull the dancer into the middle of this process and then empower them to start to direct their own performance enhancing elements but also if they're injured then to help direct their injury pathway as well or their rehabilitation pathway and so this season as well we brought in a whole swathe of um, uh, testing so profiling for the dancers and this is all now on a database which was the, the, the next new thing we've introduced which is brand new into a dance company uh, we're working with a company called Fusion Sports, uh, so we have a smarter-based system. And so we're now starting to access a whole lot of data built up around the company. But the power of that is that the dancers also access that on their app. So they can see their medical notes, they can see their physio notes. And they can start to interact with that information in a meaningful way about how can they get better? How can they make their jump higher? How, how can they make their arabesque that much more elegant? And then where do they need to go to try and access services to, to achieve that? So it's about pulling in that sort of data, technology, sports science, plus all the soft skills from the, from the staff and pulling them around the dancer and then empowering them to be the best dancer they possibly can be. So it's both. It's, uh, it's increased the, the, the performances, but also prevent the injuries. Yeah, I mean, ideally, that's where we'd like to get to. And the nice thing about the database is that we're starting to now look at some of those trends. And in, the, in my blue sky vision, I'd like to try and look at exposure statistics, you know, exposure data, which I think in sport is one of the golden eggs to try and get to. But if we could get to a point where we can look across the whole repertoire of the Royal Ballet at what the load is looking like for dancers in certain positions, whether they be principals or corps de ballet, and then say, okay, we've got Swan Lake coming up. We know there's gonna be an injury spike for the quarter ballet females, so let's put in place something that's going to try and mitigate that as much as possible, and try and, and manage that in a way that I think will be pretty beneficial for the dancers. There's uh, in a way a connection to what Rual Bar told about yesterday. Yeah, absolutely. Jumping. Yeah, well, we yeah, so we've started introducing counter movements, squat jumps, and drop jumps, and looking at that. The dancers are really, I think, initially they were quite suspicious, 
But they've really started to take it on board now, as any sports person or athlete would, and you know, who can jump the highest? Uh, is, is we've got a leaderboard now. I think also, you know, what people were worried about, uh, and especially the women, of course, um, were worried about bulking up and uh, and suddenly being, you know, being absolutely opposite to what we all think of being of a classical ballet, ballet dancer. And so, uh, part of part of the job has been to sort of get their trust and and actually get a few people that, you know, some of the the top dancers who took it on board and have been working on it, and for them to see the improvement in them without suddenly being the Incredible Hulk or something like that, you know. So I think it really, it, it, it's, it's constantly trying to take them along with us on this. And, and for me as well, it's important, you know, I, I think probably people who work with teams, um, we sometimes get accused of, of treating people like they're at school, you know, they're still, you know, the, we always try and call everybody men and ladies, but, you know, the, the boys and girls sort of thing co comes out quite often because, you know, it's all the boys in the class, all the girls in the class or whatever because there's class and rehearsals. And so this is really a way of trying to get them to have their own voice as well. So we do listen to them and they're part of the process, whether it's of strengthening or especially when they have an injury and feel that they, they are in charge with a, a, a group of experts on how to look after themselves. Of course, you, you are positive because you brought them in, but how, how, how did you, the, the culture welcome you when you come from sport and as a science person into this traditional and a little bit conservative culture? Yes, uh, it's been an interesting journey. Um, I think there's been, there's been there's still dancers who don't believe in sports science at all. And, you know, you have some talents. We, heard about um, a little bit about talent yesterday morning and I think some dancers are able to achieve amazing things without too much sports science without too much Pilates but they're few and far between and they really are the stars and then you have you know almost a hundred dancers in the company who are still trying to achieve their best and what we're seeing increasingly is a lot of the younger members of the company are really taking this on board they're understanding the value and the strength of sports science. Um, and, and so they're in implementing that into their daily routine, which is great to see. But you know, I'm the first to put my hands up and say I don't know everything there is to know about ballet, and I'm very pragmatic in my approach. As long as you can get to the end result, which is that you know, the artistic excellence is there on stage to see, I'm not too worried about how we get there. We sort of say to the dancers, you know, when, when it's, especially when it's an injury, get them in the room, they're working with everybody, working with Greg, they're working with all the team. Okay, this is what we recommend for you. This is your program. Here you are, you go and do it. If, if they say, well, I don't want to do this bit or that, that's fine, but we still want to get to the results that we're saying that in two months time, you're back on stage and you're dancing. And if you're not, then, that's, then that then will become a problem for us. Will you see that we say that it's more different than or more likes between the, the athletes and the dancers? I think there are probably more similarities, definitely more similarities dancers. It's that strength characteristic that they need in order to get a fantastic jump height. It's the flexibility they need of a gymnast in order to, to, to get that beautiful line. I, I definitely see the dancers as uh, artistic athletes, very much so. Um, but then, of course, then there's, there's that X factor, that quality that Kevin looks for, and that, you know, that 
whole weight of traditional classical ballet, which also they have to carry with them. So I think it's a lot for a dancer to take on board, of course, like any athlete. But I think if, if they can start to take the best from both worlds, then we'll see some fantastic dancers in the future who are just flying across the stage. That's, that's certainly my aim, anyway. <laughs> Going a little bit back to, to leadership, and um, Kevin, what kind of leadership do you prefer or do you take into your work, and, um, and what is needed for, for of leadership to, to lead an organization and develop it like, like it is now with, with all the changes? Yeah, I think uh, it has changed, the company has changed, the world has changed recently, you know, in, in the last... 20 years, there's so much more available to everybody, to, to dancers, to see what's going on in the, the rest of the world in a, in a sort of way when I was younger it was much more closed and we, we didn't know what was going on in the sports world for instance or anything, you know, it was just the, the Royal Ballet and Ballet and what was going on there. So I think I have to, I, I feel as, as now the the boss or the director um, have to take that on board and, and so I think it's a much more open, uh, transparent um, way of leading really. I mean, uh, I mentioned that Dame Nanette de Valois um, was the founder and, and director and she was there for and uh, from the 30s to the 60s and I don't think anybody would have ever knocked on her door, you know, and the same with the directors, and slowly it changes over the years. But I think I, I'm very much for an open uh, dialogue with everybody, um, trying to hear what everybody's got to say. Of course, it's a hundred dancers, plus all the other people that work in the Opera House. We have about a, a thousand people working there. Um, so it is a negotiation all the time, you know, to, 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 to make things happen. Um, it's, it's a bit of a sea change anyway at the Opera House. We've got a new, uh, the year before I became the director of the Royal Ballet, there was a new director of the Opera, and uh, since I became the director of the Royal Ballet, the chief executive of the Opera House, uh, Tony Hall, became the um, director general of the BBC, and so we have Alex Beard. So it is a new group of people there leading this, this big organization. So, and I think we do feel, feel and work in the same sort of way and are open to, to the way things have changed. And, and you know, for instance, now dancers um, do want to, maybe don't want to stick with the same company for the whole of their career. They don't want to be just with the Royal Ballet or just with the Bolshoi Ballet. They want to experience different worlds, different cultures, different repertoire. And so you have to be open to that. And maybe whereas if you'd left the Royal Ballet uh, years ago and then wanted to come back a couple of years back later, that would never happen. You would never be allowed back. It's a different world now. People are allowed back. There's much more um, ebb and flow within the dance community, really. Um, so, yeah, I'm a sort of laid back sort of person, I think, and just, just l try and make it all happen and, and be as honest as possible. Of course, I'm making decisions on people's uh, careers, you know, it's up to me who dances a role, which particular night and with who. So, of course, it's a lot of um, responsibility there. And I'm, I'm dealing with young people that have come from the school generally, you know, from 18 years old. And, you know, it's a young time, it's a, a hard time in their lives, you know. They've just grown, just grown up, and you have to really help them through this, this time in their lives, plus getting the best performances out of them. 
Yeah, you have you have young dancers, you have grown up dancers, and you have some very good dancers, stars. And how is it to, to lead the company to, to, to take care of the whole company and development, but still you have some very good ones, some principles, some, yeah. some prima donnas? Yeah, maybe, maybe. I, wouldn't like, they, I, I think uh, what, uh, one of the things actually we, I think you asked earlier about what are the, what's, how would you describe the Royal Ballet in comparison to other companies, what I, I, I say is that we're very much uh, a company it's the, the Royal Ballet is about the, the company and the way we present things, so very much the dancers as a team working together, the, the, the music, the design, everything coming together to create a performance that will transcend one particular element of it. And so we're not just about two dancers in the middle of the stage jumping and turning as, as well as they can. All the individuals make up the whole, and I think that is different from uh, what a lot of companies end up being. Um, but, of course, we all want to have the best dancers, the, the superstars of, uh, in, in dancing with us. And uh, it, so it's quite a, it is a dynamic, but I think the reason people want to join the company, um, say if you get one of the, the big, big names in dance coming and asking me if they can join, the reason they want to join is because they've got that backup. They've got the backup of the company. They know that they won't be just on their own in the middle of the stage. If they're doing a dramatic performance, they could turn anywhere and somebody, the, all the dancers will be involved in, that, in telling that story that we're trying to portray out there. So I think there is that respect for the tradition of the Royal Ballet, which is that we are a company and the company comes first. But of course, in this day and age of celebrity as well, we people want to know about individuals and want to know their history and want to follow them. So it's, a, it's a, quite a balancing act to make that all happen. We have about 16 principal dancers. Some of them have come all the way from the school right the way through, and then some have just flown in from different parts of the, from, of the world and, and become dancers with us. So you're looking for a good company, but still the prima donna should shine. Yes, yes, definitely. Uh, going to some aspect, uh, development versus performances or future and, 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 and what's happening now. Um, how much time do you, if, if you had a dancer 22 years old, and uh, how much do you have the long-term perspective to develop this dancer until the highest level, 28? Or, and how much do you use for peak the performance the next few years? Yeah, I think it is, you do try and nurture this, this talent, you know, and so um, there's a few good examples at the moment. We have a, uh, a young lady that was, has come all the way through the school and she's been now about four years in the company and since I became the director, started to give her little opportunities and, uh, and so then, so she's had two years of that and then just the last month was given the leading role in one of the most iconic ballets of our repertoire and um, which uh, was quite a major thing to do but it was a moment for her to sort of say I've arrived at this start of my career which is and 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 people of course have 
stood up and taken notice of her. And so now the, the, the job for me and together with, with Greg with that sort of thing is, is to really make sure that we look after that person now because of course immediately people are saying, oh, is this the next great British ballerina? And, and it's a lot of pressure for somebody that's 22 you know, to, be put, to be put in that position. So we, I want to be very careful with them, choose the roles that she's going to be doing over the next one, two, three years to slowly add into her repertoire. So she starts doing all the major roles. If everything goes well, of course, you never know how things are going to go, but hopefully if everything goes well, and then that she will then get to this, the stage where she has this huge, this longevity and huge career. I mean, interestingly, one of our leading ballerinas now, Marianela Nunes, was um, uh, from Argentina, and she came over to us at 15. She, we were, uh, the company were dancing in uh, America, and she came and auditioned, and Darcy was in the company still, Darcy Bossel, who was one of our great dancers, and she said to the, the then director, you better take that girl, because she looked so fantastic. And, Marinella at 15 in Argentina had been doing leading roles in these sort of productions in Buenos Aires and whizzing around and, 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 and doing all the big parts. And when she came to us, she went to the school for a year and then she really, we, we took her right back, even though she was desperate to do all this, the big parts, and took her right back and slowly, slowly um, started her again, really. Uh, giving her little parts and building up until she's now been a principal for like 10 years and now she's one of the greatest dancers in the world and she's gonna she's having a great career over but a long time but I think if we brought her in 15 she did everything in three years she would have been done by 22 and now she's uh, won't be impolite to say how old she is but she's just in her early 30s and really have you know at the peak of her career so that's a really good, I think, a good example of us getting it right. We don't always get it right because sometimes you're pushed in a certain way um, because somebody is superly talented and you've, you're, you, you know, they're hungry for every role and you sort of want to keep them and want to keep them excited. And sometimes you make mistakes and it, and, and it can go wrong. You know? I think the other thing is that it is, um, uh, you know, the... It's, it, the idea is beautiful to try and develop the dancers through, but actually there's a show to put on. And in the, in the healthcare suite, we're very much about trying to get the show on, on for that evening. And I think people don't appreciate with the Royal Ballet, they may have two ballets on at the same time and then another three in rehearsals. So the dancers are actually having to churn through five different ballets continuously. And one of the biggest challenges I'm looking at is this whole idea of how do you periodize a workload. And in the Royal Ballet, because you're sharing the main stage with the Royal Opera, one night will be ballet, one night will be opera. You don't have that rehearsal and then performance period. It's a continuous performance throughout from September all the way through to June. So one of the biggest challenges we have is still trying to protect some time to develop the dancers, to get those other areas and to, to make sure they're strong but also to make sure that the show goes on with as many fit and healthy dancers fronting up as possible. That means in your role that you really have impact on, on that? Um, I'd like to think we have an impact, yes. And if, if I'm not having an impact, then Kevin comes up and knocks on my door. <laughs> yeah, as, as we talk about, this is a very traditional, uh, long time, long history. 
and it's also changing from being a national ballet, national uh, company, to an international with a lot more diversity. How does this impact on, on the work and, and the development of the company? What I think is, is great about the company now, I, uh, I think if you came in and saw a performance, and actually some people have said to, to me quite recently, if you see a performance of the whole company, one of our big ballets, and you come on, you, you look at the, the, the range of performers we have there, the diversity of those performances, the different nationalities. I think we sort of represent what London is today, really, and I think that is a huge step forward for us. Um, when you're in this sort of traditional, and it's a, you know, we, it's a Western uh, art form, you know, and so how it's developed and changed r really quickly has, uh, is quite impressive. And so, of course, the, the work that we perform as well reflects that a little bit as well, and the cultures that people come from, and the choreographers that work with us. So, and. There's also, a, there's been a huge blurring of the lines. You know, it used to be, if you were a classical ballet company, you only did this sort of ballet. And if you were a contemporary dance company, you only did this. Now, we, the choreographers go from one company to the other, to contemporary to, to classical ballet. So, uh, for instance, our resident choreographer, Wayne McGregor, uh, was never a classical ballet dancer in his life, but he creates wonderful classical ballets, contemporary classical ballets. And uh, this, within this season, I've invited a, an Israeli choreographer, Hofez Schechter, who has his own company. Uh, again, never taken a ballet class in his life, but will hopefully create something new and exciting for the Royal Ballet. So I think it's, it's taking the best of what's out there and bringing it to our, our company. We have talked about uh, bringing sport, knowledge and experience from sport into the ballet. And, but Greg, if you want, in the future, if Kevin lets you, go back to sport. Uh, what will you bring with you from, from the ballet? I was, I'm really, every day actually, I'm amazed at the single-mindedness, the absolute focus on perfection that the dancers have. And that, I think, the processes that they go through to get to that piece of perfection on stage, not just once a week, but four or five times a week, and how they focus their energies, their, their time, and to get to that one point six times a week, I think that's, there's something there to be learnt in sport about that single-minded dedication, focus, and commitment. Good. I think the time is running and uh, we open up for a few questions from the audience. Could you describe a little your talent identification processes? Yes, um, so I start with, yes. I'll do that one really. Um, yeah, we have uh, the Royal Ballet School. And uh, so that, they, that starts at 11 years of age. So really, they're, they're the first scouts, really, for us. So they go and have auditions. Uh, we have now, in the old days, it used to be just a simple audition. But now they have links with a lot of different schools around the country. They have different, um, we have a thing called a junior associate. So you can um, become that at sort of the age of 9, 10. And, uh, and then from there, they can audition for what's called White Lodge, which is the junior Royal Ballet School. 
which is in Richmond Park. And from there, they go to, to 16 and they do education, academic, and mix there. And then they can audition again for the upper school. And there at the upper school, generally, it means that then they're joined by more people from outside of the UK, so the best talent uh, from around the world. It tends to be people that come to us, but also there are these ballet competitions. Um, I'm not a huge fan of them, um, especially the ones where they, you know, very young dancers, um, age set or 11, 12, girls on point, whizzing around guys doing uh, big pas de deux at that age when they're not physically ready to do those sort of things. So we try and keep away from that. Um, but um, that's how it really works. With the, with the more senior dancers coming into the company, it, it's very much, I try not to, I don't poach, I don't try not to, I don't poach dancers, um, but hope that people will come to me and if they really would like to join the company. Um, I think it's, it's interesting how the dynamic has changed. Um, uh, we have a lot to be thankful for with Billy Elliot, I think. Um, uh, a lot of fathers don't want to be seen to be that father that wouldn't let their son come to ballet class so actually we have equal numbers of young boys and young girls doing uh, coming to the junior school of the, of the company and there they, they are selected out it is over that time it can be quite tough but there until we're left with a class of 30 graduates and um, at the moment those maybe I will give three or four of them a job Birmingham Royal Ballet maybe the same and then they go to all the companies around the world and at the moment it's where we're having a sort of 100% um, employment rate which is good. I think it's one over there. Yeah um, obviously you have classical moves you know the Pardieu, the arabesque things like that so do your choreographers have they have they uh, designed do they design new moves with the dancers in mind and I just sort of, you know, if you look at Fosbury Flop, for example, have you invented anything which is now known as the Royal Ballet Move? <laughs> yeah, well, sometimes we get complaints that um, we're too, um, uh, too physical. And yet there are, there are steps that have uh, different lifts that have been invented by, you know, choreographers. And it is because of what the body can do. You know, in Margot Fontaine's time, you know, she sort of was lifted up and down and round, and that would have been about it. Now they're up on the back, round their back, flipped over. You know, Wayne McGregor has their legs over their, their head, you know. So there are some, some moves that we, in our own business will say, oh, that's, a cro that's the chroma lift or the, the infra lift or the... Winter's tail lift. So there are things like that that are are invented, you know, by those choreographers. And I think it is they're excited by what can be done with the body now, you know, and it and it's constantly being challenged all the time. Additional to that, in uh, in Norway, we we mixed uh, break dancers and the national ballet. And out of that come a lot of new movements yes. yeah, I'm <laughs> from, sure. from both I'm sides. Sure. I'm sure. Sim oh, yeah, back there. there. Hi, uh, good evening. Brian Bernstein from Cirque du Soleil. And uh, I have hopefully two questions, if it's okay with the group. Uh, the first is that earlier you talked about starting to be able to use some data when working with your dancers. And I'm curious, just without the wins and losses, 
how you're able to get them to understand or relate the use of those analytics into how it relates to their performance. And then the second part of the question is how do you sustain a high level of motivation, also not having the wins and losses, taking away that component of it, uh, what keeps them or how do you build a culture to maintain that motivation throughout the long year? Um, I'll take the first one. So the, um, it's, a, it's a completely new world for the dancers to, to look at sports analytic data and to, uh, and to make it meaningful for them. But so I work very closely with a, a ballet coach. We have two rehabilitation coaches who are the ballet coaches who take an, an injured dancer through that journey from being physically strong to being balletically able to achieve what they want. And so we sit with the dancer and we try and make it meaningful to the dancer so that uh, the data we present in a form that they can understand. So, you know, the force plate data is great because they can understand height of a jump. That's easy. And then we look at uh, video and um, using uh, a screen with a, a grid on it. And then we take dartfish and look at the angles. So then we talk about the, the beautiful line that they're trying to achieve or where it's not coming from. And actually, my experience of the dancers is that they have the most incredible knowledge of their own body, probably more so than any other athletes I've ever come across. They'll tell you exactly where the problem is and what, what the issue is. And then if you engage them with this sports analytic data, they actually start to then think beyond the box. And they start to challenge you around some of the rehab you know, processes that they want to do as well. So I think it's really, it's a new, it's absolutely a new venture for them uh, and for me, but I think it's one that's going to be really fruitful in the future. And in terms of motivation. Yeah, I think the motivation, it is hard, of course, uh, getting them through the year. Um, of course, um, what, where we're different from, say, a musical, whereas when you put a, a musical on, it will be one cast for that run. So if it runs for a year and you're contracted for a year, you will do the same part every night like that. With, with a ballet company, we change the cast. So within, if it was a big ballet, you know, we just done a, a ballet called Manon, we had nine different sets of principal couples doing uh, over 20 odd performances. So, and then within those, further down, all the little parts, that's where somebody maybe get their first break to do one little solo within something. So that's part of the motivation process and seeing a progression in their year. Um, and I think also that has its problems because that means extra rehearsing and so then Greg might say to me you're rehearsing them too much and so I have to be careful with that but that is a way because if you're standing there holding the spear for a year you're not going to be motivated so I have to find ways of motivating them. We bring in a lot of guest teachers for the class, the daily class so that doesn't become a grind. Every week we have a different, not, so maybe I'll bring somebody from uh, Russia for three weeks and they will teach the company. The next three weeks somebody from America will come. There will be also other classes going on but just to keep that and a different eye, somebody looking at them. And so through that, that's a way of, of making them feel that each one of them out of those 97 dancers is an individual and has a path to go through. It's tough, but it's, it's, I do try to do that. I think we could have been talking a lot yes. later on, but we have to end this session. Uh, for sure, you have some keywords and learning points yourself, but I want to share your, in my, with your, and that it's hard work, quality is in the details, give space for the prima donnas, <laughs> and ballet gives endless inspiration for all of us. 
So thank you, Kevin, Greg, and thank you for the time.